the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome into Hour 3. It is a delight to bring back our good friend David Harsani. He's a senior writer for National Review and the author of a forthcoming book, Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. Very much looking forward to that. But prior to that, his earlier book was uh, about the Second Amendment and the history of the Second Amendment. First Freedom. A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun, which is why I knew yesterday after Joe Biden's, President Biden's speech on uh, violence in America, crime in America and guns, I wanted to talk to David Harsani, especially after this very, very odd, I don't know what the word is for it, and fractious uh, departure Joe Biden made. I think it was a departure from his text. It had to be. I'll get I'll get David's views on this here right now when he went into this saying about Thomas from Thomas Jefferson we've gone into and then talking about the government. If, if you want to have a gun to take on the government, you're going to need F-15s and nuclear weapons. David Harsani, I, um, I guess we're getting used to documenting various forms of perhaps the departure from cognitive development, but that was just so unbelievably odd. I had a caller in my first hour say, I never heard a president in my lifetime declare war on the american people what do you what did what was your first thought when you heard that weird thing yesterday well i had heard it before because um he's used that it's a talking point he has but he completely um botched it so every time he says it these days it gets worse and worse and <laughs> okay there's a, there's a half-life yeah. that gets worse and worse to this okay yeah, yeah. so we no, had you actually... know the thing we're going to end up with just you know at some point is that it <laughs> okay. exactly yeah okay. exactly right okay. <laughs> No, no, yeah, he's he's used this before where he, he pulls out that Thomas Jefferson quote, which is from a letter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, frankly, Thomas Jefferson was a bit of a Jacobin, right? <laughs> so he well, a yeah, more... it's a lo- I've spent a lot of time talking about that quote, but you and I would probably agree it's not a quote you throw around lightly when you're in elected office. I just don't think you play lightly with that quote. Oh, no, no, yeah, and Thomas Jefferson wrote that in a letter. It wasn't, you know, a speech or anything like that. It terrified Washington, um, by the way. It terrified right, Washington right. when he read it. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> right. So, so um, yeah, so he uses that quote for some reason. I have to quickly say, I've never heard me uh, use that quote or talk about the, the need for, you know, sporadic, uh, you know, bloodletting mm-hmm. uh, for the republic to survive. I've right. never even heard that. And then he says, of course, this talking point that others have said, but never a president, which it's really just bonkers for a president to say that if you, you know, that, that you know, we'd have to scramble F-15s. You know, yeah, if you, need to, if you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and nuclear. Right. And, and it's just such a weird thing that when you dig deeper, is it's that he, he uses this, he, that, you know, actually small arms – Places with small arms have have done very well for themselves uh, over the seven over seventy years. 
fighting that kind of war, and Americans were involved in that sort of thing in Afghanistan and Iraq mm-hmm. and maybe even Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if he's right at all. We didn't drop a bomb on a uh, nuclear bomb on al-Qaeda. Why are we going to drop it on Kansas? Right. You know, we're not. So um, that's, he's wrong about that as well, and he gets the Second Amendment all wrong anyway. Uh, yes, that let's talk about the Second Amendment, uh, too, if you don't mind, because, I, you know, it's it's really odd. He says it is limited, it limited from its origins, the type of people that could own a gun and what type of gun you could own. His example was a cannon is uh, that's not a gun. Uh, I guess it is, but it's not what people think of as a gun. But are there other examples? Uh, you're the historian on this, David. Did we limit the type of people that could own a gun and what type of gun you could own beyond, you know, incarcerated? Well, no, uh, cannons aren't guns. <laughs> cannons aren't guns, as you say. But even that is not true because cannons were not illegal. Privateers owned cannons. Uh, people could own cannons. The militia had private citizens who owned cannons and brought and used them. Um, so that isn't even true. The cannons were not banned. Um, no gun, no gun was banned. No type of gun was banned. The, the very notion of a federal, um, you know, gun policy would have been completely alien to any American, at least until the 1930s, when we had our first federal gun laws. Um, he is right that certain people couldn't have guns. They're called they were called slaves, um, and other people who were minorities who you know were were oppressed. So. Um, he's right that people who didn't have guns couldn't defend themselves or fight back, but uh, any a citizen of the United States could own a weapon, and no one ever questioned it. What overall struck you, David, uh, as the administration's uh, plan going forward to deal with violent crime? I mean, it's an odd thing. You've, you've documented on this show and elsewhere that the past year and a half has been a, a, a uniquely high time of Americans buying guns because it came at a time when the uh, political leaders were telling us they were going to be defunding the police and the police were retiring and resigning and taking uh, and taking leave and people were buying guns. So today, Joe Biden, having gone on uh, gone on, uh, you know, a year campaign of supporting uh, those who had engaged in violence and supporting those who had wanted to de- defund the police is now wanting to take away guns. This, there's something about this that's that's very upside down. Yeah, exactly. As a backwards, the, the spike in gun ownership is because of the lawlessness, not the reverse, because it's still going on. Um, you know, and for and for 30 years or more, there was there were declines in violence year year after year, um, or most years, and uh, still there was a rise in gun ownership. So his contention that they're somehow connected is wrong. So he used this opportunity. Opportunity is the wrong word, but he used this uh, trend, what's going on with criminality, to set to to basically just repackage his his gun uh, control agenda and and ask people to ban AR-15s, which aren't really involved in much of this criminality, to you know to worry about ghost guns, which isn't involved in this criminality, um, and some you know universal background check things like that. I think on the margins this might help a little because oh, he he has some funding for for local police departments. But in the end, it's a cultural problem, right? I mean, that's how I see it. If you're going to vilify um, law enforcement, if you're going to make them out to be a collective of racists and murderers, A, um, you're not going to have, you know, cops are going to be scared to do their job. And B, people aren't going to want to be cops because who wants to be a villain, right? Um, so I, I think that those are, are, are problems that need to be dealt with in some way, and he hasn't ha- helped at all. 
Uh, how much does David? How much do you sense he actually understands the gun issue and gun arguments? He has been the head of the Judiciary Committee. He was highly involved in the assault weapons ban, nineteen ninety four. Is that right? Ninety four. Uh, how, yep. how? But when he talks, it's almost as if I mean you quoted him talking about Glocks and 38 revolvers. How much does he actually, do you get the sense this is a man who really knows what he's talking about? I, I don't. Um, you know, I think, I don't think he's an intellectually curious person at all, frankly, and I don't think he's ever been. It has nothing to do with his age. I mean, if you've followed his career as, as you have and I have, you know that he's kind of uh, ridiculous uh, quite often. Um, he knows nothing about guns. He knows nothing about the Second Amendment. And you don't have to know things about the Second Amendment, I guess. But if you're going to be president and 40 percent of homes have a firearm in them in the country, you should probably do some, you know, some research on this topic. Or the only other explanation is that he's completely dishonest about it, um, that he doesn't that he knows what the Second Amendment is about. And he lies because he, um, you know, on quite a few occasions has said, Things that simply aren't true. You know, he first he wasn't treating it as an individual right, which Heller um, codified. He 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 talks about uh, hunting and kind of guns you need. The Second Amendment has nothing to do with hunting. That so was another weird it. one. That was another weird yeah. one. It was almost as if he spoke with um, the knowledge of what the headlines would be. And when he's talking about hunting animals wearing Kevlar, my God, I mean, it's as if he's the one not taking this stuff seriously, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, and not not to get too too into the weeds, but you know, in the 1950s there was a big boom in hunting, and it became, you know, a lot of people started doing it, and there was a lot of gun ownerships associated with hunting, and maybe that's what he's thinking about. I don't know, but lately that's not the case. Hunting is, you know, fewer and fewer people hunt, but yet gun ownership is still rising. Uh, people are buying guns for different reasons, um, and one of the, you know, and one of the under the, the most important part of the Second Amendment philosophically is. Uh, you know, arming oneself and community and country, not because it says the United States, but because of the underlying liberties that that, you know, that represent. And he doesn't seem to understand that. He thinks that some, you know, he thinks of people with guns as a bunch of, you know, crazy rebels who want to, you know, who, I don't know what he thinks, probably white supremacists or whatnot. But, 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 you know, that's not the case. And you don't have a gun because you want to rebel. You have a gun just in case. And we're nowhere near that. But, you, you know, that's, the point of the Second Amendment. It's not to go hunting, and it's really not even to defend your home, though that's part of it. That's not the, you know, no one of the founding generation ever could have imagined that someone would take their gun away from them in their home, you know, for that was a cause for war. So, um, you know, he doesn't understand any of that, or maybe he does, and he just lies about it. What will be the biggest, in your sense, you followed this debate a long time, David Harsani, what will, in, in, in your sense of things, what will be the biggest talking points the left excuse me, the Democrats will use that we'll have to be prepared for. Will it be the success of the assault weapons ban? Will it be we don't need assault weapons? Will it be we don't need 50 rounds in a magazine? What do you think? Well, you hear a lot of that what you don't need and and do need. I don't know that that's such an effective argument because you don't need anything, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what you need or don't need is completely subjective. Um, I think... You know, I think that their best argument is probably on universal background checks because people don't understand what that means. It sounds good, right? Why shouldn't every gun be, um, you know, go through a background check? Check. I don't know that most people who don't own guns understand that most guns, vast majority, 99% of guns do, and that we're just talking about, 
you know, a very small percentage of, of guns that do not for because, you know, they're not sold by registered gun dealers. It's not a person who deals in guns. He has a gun and he sells it to his brother or what, whatever it is. Um, they want to pass those laws to inhibit that kind of, you know, culture, gun culture. And I think that that scares people. But other than that, it's always the, it's been the same arguments for 20 years. It never changes. And uh, I don't think the American people fall for it anymore. No, you know. There's not been really any gun control. They try, but I just don't think that there's an appetite for it. I don't either. And I, I got to tell you, it just it doesn't seem it, se- it seemed like a weak trumpet yesterday. It, sa- it sounded like a dull horn yesterday from that man uh, on an issue that we all kind of know what the problem is, don't we? I mean, that's the funny thing. We all kind of know, don't we, that the problem is not guns. The problem is that we've been on a year and a half campaign tackling the police isn't that kind of what we all know i think it is yeah i mean i just want to quickly say this you know they talk about uh, guns and they talk about how you those guns will be useless against uh you know the, the american government right but yet then they, they pretend that the january 6 riot that's you know right. that the that the the country had almost fallen that's even right. though i don't think there was a single firearm recovered from no, there no. and then they pretend that the ar-15 is a weapon of war uh, you can't have it both ways. It's got to be one way or the other. And I think most people realize that bad guys get their hands on weapons, that killing people is not that difficult, that lawlessness happens when you don't have police force um, and people feel like they can take advantage of it until you fix those things. Um, I don't know you know, what's going to happen. Now, I'm sure this, you know, the rise in crime, uh, you know, there might be m- more than one reason for it. I'm not putting all the blame on, on last summer, but clearly many mayors, uh, embraced the defund the police stuff. Many mayors allowed and governors allowed the rioting to go on and the looting. And many Once police chiefs that, walked away. Many police chiefs resigned. Right. Once you once you allow that, it's hard to, to to walk it back. I mean, I grew up in a time, you know, in the eighties and nineties, and people think the seventies was the height of crime, but it wasn't. The early nineties was the murder rates were higher in big cities, big cities like New York than they'd ever been. Um, no one wants to go back to that. You know, I think that with that and inflation, I, I don't think that that's good news for the Biden administration if it continues along this way. Last question, David Harsana. You have a new book coming out, Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. First of all, congratulations. When's it come out and what's it mostly about? comes out in October, and it is about how, well, twofold. One is that many, many Americans, especially on the left, believe that we should be looking to Europe for, our, for solutions to our problems. So I go through a lot of those to show that it's not really working in Europe. And secondly, it talks about how Americans aren't Europeans. You know, we, we, are, we aren't as risk-averse, we are, are freer, and we value those sorts of things as an American psyche and, and, and uh, self-selected risk-takers, I guess. And uh, Europeans are not that way, so we shouldn't really be following them. And the book sort of lays out a bunch of issues one by one to explain why and uh, how we need to, I think, go back to uh, real American values. And and I lay those out as well. Nicely done. Well, we'll talk a lot between now and then, but let's make sure uh, we definitely have a long time to talk about that when it comes out. David, congratulations on that. And thanks for spending some of your afternoon, your evening, really with us. Really appreciate it, David Harsani. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, you bet it is. It's for it's a pleasure for us as well. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back.
Welcome back. 602-508-0960 is uh, your number for your show here rest of the uh, way out as we uh, head to um, the 6 o'clock hour. This um, Leo Strauss, you've heard me say, talks about the purpose of of liberal education as um, teaching things beautiful. And that is to say dismissing with and eliminating what the Greeks called aparokalia, which is translated for us as vulgarity. You can have vulgarity or you can have beauty. And I think it's fair, how Leo Strauss put it, to say the purpose of liberal education is to liberate us from vulgarity and to um, introduce us to things beautiful. I think about that when I think about the kinds of things our kids are taught. But I think about it also in the context of this story. California State University, Los Angeles. California State University, Los Angeles. They just hired a new professor, but not just a professor. They just hired a new professor who's going to head up its College of Ethnic Studies. Her name is Julianne Malveaux, and she has written the following. Quote, white people's hatred for Minister Louis Farrakhan is irrational and racist. White people's hatred for Minister Farrakhan is irrational and racist. She's also criticized Jewish community in America this way. We have tens of thousands, if not millions of people in the United States, black people, who are members of the nation of Islam. They are productive. They are not racist. They are not anti-Semitic. They are black people. So until these Jewish people who are running around asking black people to buck dance, until they ask white people to buck dance, I ain't having it. I'm just not having it. This is the new head of California State University, Los Angeles Department of Ethnic Studies. She, College of Ethnic Studies, not a department, entire college. Anti-Semitics, need, anti-Semites need not apply is not a sign California State University system can print. It's interesting because you think about what happens when you replace certain words, what Alan Dershowitz calls the shoe on the other foot test, and you know what you're in the presence of with Julianne Malvo. You're in the presence of a racist bigot, and the state of California just put her in charge of a college. You want my 10 top songs? 
You want my 10 top songs from high school? Supposedly, these 10 songs, the top 10 songs from your high school graduating year, tell you something about your life. Number 10 was Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. I had a good year. Nine was Shakedown by Bob Seger. Eight was The Way It Is by Bruce Hornsby and The Range. Here I Go Again by Whitesnake. I mean, Bill's Bill's into this. This is music Bill could like. Uh, I don't know this one. Say La Vie by Robbie Neal. Uh, Nothing's Going to Stop Us Now, Starship. I Want to Dance with Somebody. We both got a Whitney Houston there, didn't we? Uh, and uh, Alone by Heart. And then, of course, the number one. The number ones are funny. What was your number one again? Do you remember? Yeah. it's a weird, it, The number ones are funny. Mine's the Bangles, Walk Like an Egyptian. Was it called Walk Like an Egyptian or Walking Like an Egyptian? I don't remember. Walk Like an Egyptian. Bangles. Should we go out with that? Is it too late? Let's go out of the segment with that. Okay. When the left takes power as opposed to what happens when the right takes power in this country, it's not popular. I don't know what Donald Trump did that wasn't popular policy-wise. I do know that when you poll on what the left is up to, it's so far outside the mainstream, they have no concept. 58% of Americans view critical race theory unfavorably. 90% of Democrats view it favorably. That tells you something right there. Casting the country as irredeemably racist and pitting races against each other in a permanent battle. How much more radicalized and dangerous can you get? Do you realize what danger there is in this? This is why I talked about going back to zero as if we have learned nothing. In my monologue, based on that great Tom Wolfe essay, you can go back to zero. You can go back to zero with science. You can go back to zero with political science. As if we learned nothing. As if the years 1933 to 1945 in Germany amounted to nothing. As if the years 1919 to 1990 meant nothing in the Soviet Union. As if the same can be, as if the same in China. As if the same in so many other godforsaken places of hellhole misery that people would give their eye teeth to come here and leave. It's that philosophy they want to reinstantiate here? As if we've learned nothing? Open borders. Democrats often claim they're not for open borders. Of course they say that. But it's not true. It's not true. Most Americans, 62% of Democrats, believe it is Joe Biden's executive orders that have caused the surge of illegal immigration at the border. What, what is it if, if Democrats by supermajorities think that their president has caused this? While the Secretary of Homeland Security says the border is closed, you have a lying administration at odds with the American people. Try defund the police. Try running for mayor of a city on that campaign. 27%, almost 30%, but we'll just call it it's 27. 27% of Democrats, which is more than a quarter, Support abolishing police departments altogether. 
That's not a small thing. 78% support reducing the budgets of police departments. Anyone gone to a city of Phoenix council meeting lately? You think the police have the budgets they need? They're surfeited with money? Reducing police budgets is what we do in a time of rising crime. Do you know what the rising crime is, by the way? Do you realize how bad it is and where? Minneapolis, which arguably may have been the the spark of last year's violence. 90% increase in homicides. 90%. In New York City... You know, the mayor, the socialist mayor there did a smart thing. He took a billion dollars, a billion dollars out of the New York Police Department's funds. Did you get less crime? Nope. Shootings went up 74%. That's what you got. I'll tell you more about the other places, and I'll tell you more about the left when we come back. Portions of this show brought to you by Trades Unlimited for all your roofing needs. The folks at Trades Unlimited, whom I know well, I've used them. I've gone down to their offices and warehouses, met them all. Great people, great work ethic. They want you to know about their work on foam roofs right now. Foam roofs help insulate from not only the terribly extreme Arizona heat, but also from exterior noise and, most importantly, water leaks. Trades Unlimited is expert at foam recoats as well as foam roofing. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends at Trades Unlimited at 480-483-1775, or find them online at tradesunlimited.com, tradesunlimited.com. Dot com. Just a great company uh, for any and all of your roofing, roofing needs. So honest. I used them recently myself. And uh, tell them I sent you. I was talking a little bit about the disconnect between the administration and common sense or the administration and where the American people are on everything from abolishing the police to critical race uh, theory. Um you can go down the list, for example, of um, of issues that the Democrats have taken a radical stance on that when you scratch your head and say, do I even recognize this country anymore? You look at the polls and you realize you're not alone. Forty eight percent of Democrats think voter fraud is a problem compared with 69 percent of the general public. Think about that. 48 to 70 percent disconnect on the issue of voter fraud. Democrats are the least likely, by the way, to support to support voter ID uh, requirements. Uh, 62 percent of Democrats back them uh, as uh, uh, as compared to 87 percent of independents and 91 percent of Republicans. I didn't even realize 62% of Democrats backed voting ID. Voting ID, just do it. Every state should just do it. Just mandate it. You have 62% Democrat backing. Show the left who is this country and who isn't this country. Can we? How about free speech? 
How about free speech? 53% of California Democrats, a small, min- a small majority, a bare majority, of California Democrats favor restricting First Amendment rights. You know the Cato Institute poll we talked about found that over half, just over half, 52% of Democrats nationwide favor the government uh, preventing people from engaging in certain kinds of speech. 61% support making it illegal to say offensive things about minorities in public. 61% of Democrats. That's not where the American people are. And it isn't on anything, including a lot of other issues from court packing to Antifa to the Green New Deal. Democrats support spending $2 trillion on climate change, 68% of them. They are alone, most independents and Republicans, by margins of 54 and 73% respectively oppose it. We're supposed to worry about the radical right because we're told it's prone to violence. That, too, is bogus. Yes, there's extremists on the right, but the attack on the Capitol, which is cited as proof positive of violent radicalism, involved one intentional death, which was caused by a still unnamed person shooting a protester. We presume it was someone on the Capitol police force. Nothing the right has done. Nothing the right has done lately compares to the death and destruction caused by months of leftist riots. Nothing. So which side is truly radical? Which side has been truly radicalized? Which side deserves to be kicked off social media, investigated by the Justice Department, hounded by corporations, ostracized from polite society? Which is the side we're supposed to worry about? And we haven't even really gotten to the economy. But on all these sociocultural issues, you know, I have to tell you, the other thing I've been noticing, and I don't know if I'm alone in this. Maybe you've seen it, too. Have you seen a lot of columnists lately? And they tend to be conservative or never Trump conservative columnists. They tend to be never never Trump conservative columnists. Have you seen a bunch of them lately talking about how it's a bad idea for Republicans to engage in the culture war? Uh, Jonah Goldberg had that just this morning. I think if it wasn't in the Arizona Republic today, it was yesterday. Just that very point. And I've seen others lately. But I am here to tell you that it is the cultural issues that serve conservatives the best because it's a culture here that the independents still want to preserve. And if you want to tell me the Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump candidacies were not based on cultural issues, you will be telling me something that is not factually true. Of course they were. Of course they were. That's why you had Reagan Democrats. That's why you had generations of voters for Democrats in 2016 voting for Donald Trump. That's why you had so many switchovers in the Hispanic, African-American, and Jewish communities voting for Donald Trump. Cultural issues, yes, they can be related to ethnic issues, not always and not exclusively, but they deal with the issues 
that along with the economy, most Americans care most about because it's about the community they're raising their children and their families in. And on that, given the choice between what the left wants to do with your communities and children and conservatives, I just don't even know how it's a fair contest. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, and thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. We don't take any of that for granted. It means the world to us. I was talking a little bit in my monologue about Tom Wolfe, quoting a great essay of his from 1987, The Great Relearning. I encourage all of you to go online and read it um, and think about what he says with regard to science and medicine and apply it to political science. We can unlearn things we've learned. We can unlearn good things, beneficial things, positive things we've learned and applied. Countries don't have to keep excelling. They don't have to keep outdoing themselves. They can fail and they can fall. Every great, every great conservative leader, by the way, has pointed this out, uh, every, every single one of them. That's why Donald Trump created a 1776 commission, and that's why Ronald Reagan spoke about what he spoke about in his farewell address to the nation. All of our successes, all of our victories can be reversed and are reversible. They certainly can be and they certainly are. That's what Ronald Reagan meant when he talked about freedom being a fragile thing and how it's not passed down through the bloodstream. Anyway, it was a thought I was was entertaining in the context of um, what the Democratic Party stands for right now. And it Dawns on me, perhaps they're just taking a page from Rep. Butler and Gone with the Wind, who said, what people forget is it's just as easy to make money tearing down civilization as it is in building one up. And I think you can see the difference between the two movements in this country and where they stand on that. Folks, thank you. God bless you. Until tomorrow, I am Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed.